Hey there, Yag here. Before we jump into the show today, I have some exciting news to share. As of this month, we are officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. This means we are now part of the leading B2B podcast network designed to help professionals like you get inspired, learn, and grow. The ABM Conversations Podcast is now alongside other great podcasts like My First Million with Sam Power and Sean Puri, The Salesman with Will Barron, and I Digress with Troy Sandridge. Check out all these shows and more at hubspot.com slash podcast network. And now to the show. Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. My name is Catherine Liebert. I'm the head of marketing at OutFunnel, and I'm here to do a takeover episode of the podcast. Jag has trusted me with leading a few of the episodes, and I'm super excited to take it on. I've been listening to the ABM Conversations podcast for a while now, so glad to be a part of it, even if temporarily. So I should say, this episode is not live from India. Uh, I'm recording this in Tallinn, Estonia, and I'm here today with uh, Merili Leis, uh, a rock star B2B marketer. She's the first person who came to my mind when thinking about leading the show, and I'm really excited to have her here. Uh, she's currently leading marketing at Klaus, one of the fastest growing B2B SaaS startups in Europe. Previously, she led marketing at Scoro, another great B2B SaaS company. And her marketing expertise is actually way wider than just B2B SaaS. Um, she's also started as well as marketed a few lifestyle businesses, a menswear brand named Zwerk and a matcha company, Hi Matcha. So welcome, Merili. Hi, super happy to be here. Today we're going to talk mainly about how Klaus does ABM in practice without an actual ABM function as such. So to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about what Klaus does? Uh, I'm sure many of the listeners are actually aware of the brand, but uh, probably not everyone. Sure. Uh, so Klaus is a platform for customer support teams, and we help to improve the quality of the service through internal feedback and agent coaching. So usually... Uh, support teams are used to getting feedback from the clients and the customers, and we add that internal element to the mix. So they get feedback either from their peers, other agents, or managers, and um, just helping to close the feedback loop. Great. And uh, why did you decide to join as head of marketing? For me, it was a very exciting challenge because it was very early stage. So as a marketer, that's like the perfect setting where you can set everything up and do it your way. The team was amazing, of course, and also the product. I could sense that it the product solves an actual problem that the founders were having. So it wasn't something that came out of thin air, but uh, an actual problem solver for so many companies. Were you the first marketer to join? Well, I'm really blessed because actually both of the founders have a marketing background. And in that sense, it gives me the freedom to do 
actual marketing and do stuff instead of selling the idea of marketing and trying to get confirmations for everything that we want to do. Um, so in that sense, it's very marketing-led throughout the company. That's great. Yeah, I, I've always noticed that marketers in joining companies where actually the leadership knows what marketing is and Indeed. how it works. <laughs> so uh, how big is your marketing team today and how have you divided the roles in-house? We have seven people uh, and we are very content driven. So we have an educational content writer, video producer, illustrator. We have a community manager. So everything we do really relies on the content. Um, and and it's, um, it's a very close work with um, uh, partnerships team and the sales team. So everything, everything relies on content basically within the team. Gotcha. Content-centric marketing. Close is re a relatively new company, but you already have a number of recognizable names as customers, including companies like Epic Games, Wistia, SoundCloud, WordPress.com. I'm sure the listeners are as curious as I am to hear how did you make that happen? I think WordPress or the makers of WordPress, Automatic, they were, if not the very first, but one of the first customers. So that was in a stage where the product was more or less in a concept phase. And again, it really comes down to solving the problem. And for me, it's really easy to do my job when the market is not very saturated and just let the audience know that a product like this exists and they will find it and they will start using it. Um, so we approach it very case by case, account by account, uh, whether it's coming through inbound or outbound. And we just go after every lead that we get and try to get them, basically. Uh, so I think that's where we really stand out. We're willing to do to fit the product to the customer, for example, or do very hyper-personalized stuff. So we do personalized illustrations for the leads. We surprise them with random swag dispatches and things like this just to stand out and let them know that we are really, really keen to working with them. That's great. So let's dig a little deeper into how you actually do ABM without having a dedicated ABM function in-house. Can you tell us a little bit more about your ABM strategy or kind of lay out the, the playbook as much as you can? I think it takes the whole team uh, to do it without someone actually owning the role. You have to be on a same level in regards to everyone is aware that each lead and each prospect is important and they're willing to go out of the way to get them. Uh, so usually you would have someone owning this and kind of pinging everyone to let them know, okay, here's what you need to do right now to get this lead and then setting everything up on the background. For us, not having that person, we just need to have that mindset. So whether it's the product team or the customer success team, everyone knows that what they need to do basically. And we need a certain amount of um, agility there to switch things around. So we can't plan for, let's say, six months ahead and these are the activities that we're going to do. It's more about uh, jumping on every opportunity that we can get. Okay, nice. And just like on, on a practical side, how many accounts are in the works or in being nurtured and approached at any, any one point? Can you just give us a ballpark? 
Yes, with um, with ABM, the closing time for a prospect is very long, as you know, and um, we have actively, more or less actively, uh, hundreds of uh, leads in the pipeline. And this doesn't mean that we're actively reaching out to them every day and doing something with them. But again, we're just looking for those moments where to reach out or surprise them if there's a big change in the company, for example, a person joining or leaving, just taking care of those moments and trying to stand out there. And um, yeah, we just look at a list of our dream customers and try to uh, take them on one by one. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. How do you actually decide on the accounts to go after and, and how do you decide who's the dream customer for you? So the dream close customer is someone who's very customer support driven and customer support is business critical to their uh, company. For example, a lot of subscription based businesses because they have recurring transactions, uh, same customer month over month, and they need to have excellent support uh, in order to create the a good relationship with the uh, client. So it's a lot of uh, SaaS businesses, luxury uh, goods, for example, because it's just, it's very, very business critical to uh, to have that. Let's say you've found a customer, you, it's on the list, you, you want to go after them. Who is it that takes the lead on on that then? Is it sales-led? Is it, is it marketing? Is it collaborative? Currently, it's very sales-led and our approach is that we do a lot of work together, not planning on in isolation, but planning actually those approaches together, uh, the activities, the channels, and um, sales is the end owner, basically. Yeah. All right. And at the same time, you said that you're very content-focused. So is there a certain amount of customers that comes inbound as well? Our sales function is fairly new. So before that, a huge majority of our clients came through inbound, which for me was actually quite surprising because working in SaaS and inbound, you can only control to a certain extent. Um, so I was really surprised to see how much high value customers we got through inbound. And after that, it's more about nurturing those uh, word of mouth moments and getting that spread out as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a mix now. Another question related to that, who actually makes the call which accounts to focus on? Or is it, is it do you have like, a, I don't know, a calculation or, or like you ha it has to tick five of the 10 boxes or how do you decide who to go after? Uh, for us, again, since everyone on a daily basis has those customer support moments that either surprise them in a good or a bad way. I think for us, we always try to register those moments and we approach customers or prospects that either have very good customer support or horrendously bad customer support. So I think both of those company types uh, could benefit from Klaus and we try to turn it to make sense for us. Okay, great. How do you actually decide on the channels and supporting marketing materials and sales activities for each account? 
It comes quite organically. The materials, for example, we now have a certain library of uh, materials that we have and we can always resort to, but we do a lot of personalized stuff just to make it fit for that specific prospect. And as that library grows and grows, we, we learn from the, from the past mistakes and learnings. Um, and in terms of channels, again, it depends on the um, specific prospect, but that is more marketing-led because uh, we want to take care of that side of the business so the sales can uh, sales team can focus on nurturing those relationships, basically. What kind of processes or systems do you have in place to run ABM strategies or is it pretty ad hoc? I would say currently it's pretty ad hoc. We learn as we go and... And we, until recently, we didn't even pay that much attention to account-based marketing. We just did everything we could to, to get every lead in the world. Now, as we're growing, new, we're adding new processes and, uh, and trying to make it maybe a bit more organized, but we don't want to like over-organize it as well. And we still want to keep that moment of agility. So uh, everyone still has that kind of approach that they, they know that it's not set in stone and you can kind of improvise and, and think outside the box as well. And how do you plan these activities? Is it just like on a weekly basis, you sit down and decide what, what gets done this week or, or is there like a monthly, quarterly planning as well? We do bi-weekly catch-ups with the whole customer-facing team and that involves everyone from, from marketing to customer support because obviously it doesn't end the moment the lead is captured or, or the deal is closed. Um, so we involve everyone and we just discuss cases. We go over things that we should be doing or could be doing and then everyone takes it from there and, and runs off with it and starts making uh, making those uh, moments happen. Cool. What kind of tools to use to manage the entire ABM marketing you do? We have a lot of automation set up um, through Zapier, which is just heaven sent. So actually, surprisingly, a lot of the work happens in Slack. Uh, we use our own weird emoji systems that wouldn't make sense to anyone else, but uh, weirdly it does for us. Again, I'm not sure how long this this can last, but uh, for now it's uh, it's quite actually it works. And I think for us it's very important to be aware of all the kind of touch points that a prospect has, whether it's with marketing campaigns, sales reach outs, customer support. So being aware of those moments and acting on them accordingly. So seeing what else could they need to make the decision, for example, or if they are in this kind of limbo phase where they know they need Klaus and they are ready to make the decision, but they just need that extra push, then we know that we must do something crazy outside the box to capture their attention again. And how do you track those touch points? Do you use a CRM or a kind of a customer data platform or something like that? We mainly use Pipedrive, which is kind of given because the founders uh, are from Pipedrive. A lot of our team is from Pipedrive. So I think we, we use every function there is to use from Pipedrive. And again, a lot of automations with that. We also use Vitaly, uh, which is, uh, again, a CS uh, platform where we can track to an extent what features the um, trialist has used, for example. I think it's a good time to take a moment and thank the HubSpot Podcast Network. 
Being part of the HubSpot Podcast Network means we now have a behind the scenes look into the world's number one CRM platform and get to share new information and features that are helping businesses like yours stay connected to their customers, goals and teams. With improved forecasting tools and custom report builders, you can see how your quarter is going, inspect new deals and use customizable data-driven reports to improve team performance as you grow. With custom behavioral events, you can track site behavior and understand your customers' buying habits all within the platform. And if you're looking for cleaner data with a centralized system, the all-new Operations Hub Enterprise gives your ops leads the ability to curate datasets for all users, meaning even faster and more consistent reporting. Learn more about how the HubSpot CRM platform can help connect the dots for your business at HubSpot.com. All right. So let's talk about how you got to doing ABM in practice like this. Was the entire process or kind of strategy developed in-house or did you use any external advisors or, or materials as such? Uh, we are pretty lucky in the sense that everyone in the team has uh, a very strong background from any other previous startup. So we kind of tried to put this puzzle together, bringing all this different knowledge in um, and making it work for Klaus. And uh, it has worked very well for us because it's it's not the case of this is how it was done before and that's how it was working and we need to do it the same way. But we yeah just put these different ideas together and make it Klaus. And I think that has helped a lot to create this function. And um, yeah, we are always ready to learn and talk to people and, and reach out to people just to kind of pick their brain. And I'm really happy that people are willing to do that from other companies as well because because uh, it's a mutual thing that um, everyone gets something from it so exchanging ideas is is very very important in this space and uh, a, a more serious question perhaps now uh, how well has it actually worked out to do abm without having an abm person or function as such in the team i think um, having an abm person would be ideal also a shameless plug that we are looking for one. <laughs> but I think we also need to have a really good fit with the person so it fits the Klaus way of doing things. Until then, it's the case of having everyone involved, which is obviously not ideal. Uh, if there was one specific person owning this, it would make so much more sense. But um, in terms of results, I think everything that we do in marketing has that ABM mindset and an approach and, and just, yeah, uh, doing it the ABM way is, is kind of the only way to do it. We have never successfully done anything en masse and just reaching out to thousands of people with the same message and uh, just seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So, yeah, we have always approached it case by case and that has seemed to work for us. Yeah, I'll I'll help your, your shameless plug so much that I'll um, make sure Jag includes the link to your jobs page in the podcast awesome. link. <laughs> and just to note, I think you're remote first, right? So location, yes. you don't have to be in Tallinn, Estonia to work with Klaus. Yes, uh, even we don't want to be in Tallinn, Estonia <laughs> in October. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're remote first and closeup.com jobs. <laughs> so we cannot talk about how you do marketing at Klaus without talking about 
Klaus' signature style of doing things, I would describe it as fun, sometimes silly, always full of puns and never taking yourself too seriously. Is that more or less correct? Yes, I would correct you that not sometimes silly, but always silly. (laughs) (laughs) I think we even have this kind of uh, approach that if, if you test a message or an idea and it doesn't get a reaction where someone thinks that maybe it's too much, maybe it's too weird, then it's it's not for us. We have to do it uh, the weird way. <laughs> all, all the way over the top. Um, so I think it's a prime example of, you know, B2B doesn't have to be boring, um, even when selling to bigger companies. And some of the listeners might not be familiar with all of your um, awesome marketing collateral and shenanigans. So can you share some of your favorite examples? I would say the biggest hit has been our socks. Uh, So we have cat socks, they're lemon scented and they are packaged in a tin can. This always gets looks from the security officers at airports when we're going to conferences. (laughs) It always looks very suspicious. And yeah, these are a hit at any event we go to. We also like to send those out in batches. So whenever we have an exciting lead, we would surprise them with hundreds of tin can socks. And this has helped to score us um, some deals as well. So it's not just uh, the fun aspect and the branding aspect. It actually can be the final decision-making factor. We also do what I like to call like thought leadership swag. For example, we have a Klaus cocktail book where we have original Klaus cocktails and it comes with a matching cocktail set. So things like this are what keeps me going uh, when you're going account after account and then you can think of the weirdest ideas and actually make them happen as well. Wow, I didn't even know you can make socks lemon scented. Now now I want a pair. <laughs> so um, how does your team come up with these ideas? It's getting the whole team involved. Uh, so it's not just uh, uh, me and the marketing team sitting uh, at a table and uh, thinking of ideas. Uh, most of the best ideas have come from within the team. The cocktail book idea came from Valentina, who is our empress of product. And even when we think of cat puns or slogans and things like this, we always reach out to the team and um, have gotten some amazing responses from there. So it it takes having the whole team with the same mindset. And do you actually sense check them before actually creating them? Or should I say like, is this over the top enough check? (laughs) Yeah, we do that as well. And again, it's Some of those moments that seem too crazy that have become the most uh, successful ideas. So we definitely do that. Have there been any that have received negative feedback or have turned out to be flukes as well that you can share? I can't think of anything that turned out negative, but um, I guess for us, it's a fail if it doesn't get the reaction we were hoping for. For example, we recently launched a project called Quality Consultations by Klaus. And we thought it was a genius idea because uh, we have some amazing experts in the field and the team who have uh, previous backgrounds in Zendesk and uh, some um, customer support functions in different companies. And we thought it would be amazing if they could share their thoughts on specific companies. So you can register for a like an expert session. You can have one-on-one time with them and ask any questions that you want, whether it's about building the team or building the process. But 
B2B is so saturated with hidden demos that people actually thought it's a sneaky way of getting leads to demos. So it never turned out the way we anticipated it. We never anticipated it to be like a sneaky way of getting people to sales calls. We actually wanted to share our knowledge. Um, so I think things like this, where we have something that we think is brilliant and uh, the audience doesn't react the way we thought, then then it's a fluke for us. Gotcha. Is that project dead now, or you can still register? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's not we'll super active, <laughs> so you will be first in line. <laughs> How do you measure success? I understand you you definitely want to get a reaction out of everything you do but when it comes to just your marketing efforts and collateral in in the bigger picture especially with long sales cycles. Yeah, especially with long sales cycles it's it's very hard to get the attribution right and and kind of pinpoint that this pair of socks was <laughs> what closed the deal for us. But we, again, approach it very account-based in the sense that we, we look at the, the bigger cycle, we see the different touch points that they had, whether they signed up for a demo, whether they did a trial or had a contact with an account executive. And we don't look at it very specifically, trying to decide who gets, let's say, 100% of the conversion value at that. We look at the big picture and we know that Swag shipments probably weren't the one that actually sealed the deal, but we yeah look at it as a package. And um, some channels are easier to track, some not. But uh, by now we have kind of tested everything, learned everything, and tried to make sense of uh, of the channels and and the touch points. Gotcha. So before doing this podcast, I had a brief look at Klaus's social media and just different things you've been doing recently. And one thing that really stood out to me was um, that you partner with some big names in the customer support space. And so I thought it would be good if we talk about partnerships as well and how they fit into your entire marketing strategy. So how have you done it so far? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Partnering with the likes of Intercom and Help Scout. Yeah, for us, it's with partners, it's quite similar as to with customer prospects. Again, approaching it account by account and partner by partner. We have an amazing uh, partnership manager, Lillian, who is building those relationships and making sure that the relationship is mutual. So we're not just requesting stuff from the partners. Uh, We are offering something in return. Um, so just as with leads, you need to be valuable to the lead and with partners as well, you need to be valuable for the partner. And again, we are trying to kind of think outside the box and see what hasn't been done before. And that usually tends to get the reaction from the partners as well. For example, with Intercom, uh, we are now doing an annual benchmark report for support quality. And this is something that hasn't been done before ever. And that's what appeals to the partners as well. They want to be part of something like this. And this year we're doing it for the second year in a row. And it's already becoming a thing where others want in as well. So we have new partners who are requesting to be part of it. So yeah, that's a kind of a testament of, of a thing that is working. And we're just trying to think of those ideas that would appeal to different partners. All right. Uh, well, this brings us to the rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you uh, five questions and your answer can be short or long, but I will 
just ask them one by one after each other. So uh, are you ready? Yes, let's All go. Right, let's go. First question, who are some B2B marketers you avidly follow or look up to and why? I follow a bunch of people on LinkedIn that I get my daily dose of inspiration from. One of them is, for example, Dave Gerhardt from Drift. I think has a similar approach to marketing and especially B2B marketing that it doesn't have to be serious. It's still people behind those companies who are making the decisions. And in order to stand out, you have to do something different. So you can't resort to something that has been done before. Great. Second question. What's your favorite marketing channel and why? For me personally, it's actually SEO. I think it's a good representation of marketing in general. It's technical, but also creative. And for me, that is really interesting because you have to excel at both. You can't just excel at, at one aspect. I remember uh, when we started doing SEO at Scoro way back, it was very different from what SEO is now. It was about like hacks and tactics and, and growth hacking was a huge deal. But now you can't really trick the system. You have to put out very, very valuable content. And yes, the technical aspect has to be top notch, but um, you have to be valuable for, for the reader. So I think that's... Uh, that's my like holy grail channel. Yeah, I remember chatting to you about SEO at one of the digital elite camps some years ago. It was a different time for sure. <laughs> Definitely. So question number three, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for B2B marketers in 2022 and how do you recommend overcoming it? I think the biggest challenge is year after year, it's the same actually, but it's just being the best and trying to invent new things that haven't been done before. And again, as with SEO, it's it's you have to be valuable for the reader and you have to be valuable for your leads. And you can't kind of resort to those hacks and, and tricks. You have to actually prove value. That's great advice. Question number four, best book you'd recommend all B2B marketers to read? This is a book that I always recommend, and I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> it's actually from uh, 1994, I think, and it's called 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And just as with any marketing, B2B marketing as well, it's, it's a lot about psychology, the decision-making process, the human nature. And I think that book really covers it really well, how you as a brand or as a company can use this knowledge to make your work more efficient and uh, reach the right people at the right time with the right message. So yeah, I like to think that if it made sense 20 years ago, it's it makes sense now and it's going to make sense 20 Almost years 30 now. years ago already. Oh wow, <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't it 2007? <laughs> right. That's how I feel most days as well. <laughs> but it's a good book. I've read it as well. I've, I've thought about rereading it again soon. It's been a while. Last question. Cats or dogs and why? You're really trying to start a conflict at the end of this. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I'm going to be very politically correct and say both, but my dog Sky is the cutest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the AVM Conversation Show, Merrily. It was good chatting with you. Thanks so much for inviting me. 
Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 